All right. Oh, I wanted to draw a verse out of that song to open up our thoughts for our first message this morning in our time together. And it came from the fourth stanza, or the, the fourth verse in the third stanza. How oft in grief hath not he brought the relief, spreading his wings to or shade thee. Today's topic that I wanted to address uh, and consider with one another is resisting discouragement as Christians. This is the second Sunday of the month and this is where we try to examine our theology where the rubber meets the road in our everyday lives. Amen. Our lives as Christians. And to do this, I want us to spend some time together in the book of Acts chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be specifically just looking at a very narrow portion of chapter 14. Uh, Actually, I'm going to just change that. We're just going to start at verse number 1. Acts chapter 14. Beloved, I'm bringing us to this topic today um, for a couple reasons. Initially, my thought was, you know, following last week's sermon, A Spirit-Filled Home, I emphasized the point that truly the hardest place to be a faithful Christian is in our own homes. And I kept drilling that point in and down because I believe if we're all honest with one another, that, that is the hardest place. And we unpack some of the reasons why it's the hardest place to be a faithful Christian. And we can... After a message like that, even though the pastor can encourage everyone not to do so, we can walk out of here with our heads hung low and say, you know what, I'm just falling so short from being that type of wife. I'm falling so short from being that type of father, that type of parent, or that type of obedient child that we looked at, which the scriptures presented for us. And I thought, you know, um, maybe we just need to follow up with a class about not becoming discouraged. How do, how do we avoid, you know, such an apathetic attitude of discouragement? Well, that was my initial thought. And then as the week went on, in God's providence, um, I had interactions with old Christian friends. And these are Christian friends who have come into my life, perhaps through former church communities, uh, just acquaintances, you know, uh, family, friends, so forth and so on. And me and my wife both, we heard just a lot of discouragement. We heard from these friends who once, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, were so zealous for the things of God. They were so in the fight. They were not afraid to get messy in dealing with the problems that are in the Christian home and the Christian life and so forth. They were were being faithful. And, 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 And the testimonies we were hearing was not a total abandonment of the faith, but, oh, beloved, I heard one brother in particular at the, at the cliff, I mean, at the edge I believe he's not going to be pushed off the edge, you know. Uh, He has the lifeline of his mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's not going to let the cord be cut. But I'm so concerned of just the discouragement 
that is plaguing many of those in the body of Christ. And one thing that can help us with that at times, no matter what we're going through, and even someone here or someone listening to this message could say, well, you know what, that's easy for you. Uh, You're not dealing with what I'm dealing with. You're not dealing with the spouse that I have. You're not dealing with the physical ailment that I have. You're not dealing with the financial problems that I have or the rebellious child I have. You're not, you don't understand. No, you're probably right. I don't understand your particular discouragement. But as I constantly emphasize here from this pulpit ministry is that I'm just a man too. I have my own weaknesses and discouragements as well. And what I have found repeatedly over and over again of things that help me through those discouragements is one, in secondary literature, outside of Scripture, is the biographies of Christians, uh, missionaries, you know, uh, those in the past. And, and sometimes, you know, beloved, they're, they're eminent people. Uh, they're, they're such eminent people who have, in a large way, in the church, been in a degree, they would never want this, but placed on a pedestal kind of, just the, the great things they are known for and, and the great gifts that they utilize to the glory of God. And, and it's good. We should give honor to you know, men who, who, and, and women who have used their gifts to the, for the advancement of the kingdom, right? Um, we would never want to venerate them, of course, uh, in, in a sainthood status. Don't get me wrong, but you get the point. It's, it's okay to acknowledge their usefulness and their faithfulness. Paul does this, for instance, in Hebrews when he looks to the past of the, the halls of the heroes of the faith, doesn't he? And the reason I think that it's true why that brings me relief is because I see that in the details of their life and their service to the Lord is that they had some really hard times. You get to see in an honest biography, uh, the, especially if it's an autobiography, they spill their feelings, don't they, right on the page of their own temptations and their struggles of doubts, so forth and so on. Uh, read uh, the biography of William Carey. Uh, one of my favorite missionaries here in a local area in the state of Indiana was Isaac Backus. Uh, sometimes we talk about Native Americans who were missionaries into the Native, the early American uh, Native Americans in the colonial times. We just think of you know Roger Williams, people like that. But uh, Isaac Backus did more to spread the gospel amongst the Native Americans than anyone. And time and time again, losing multiple children and death uh, as infants. Uh, He was a very ill man, always sick, always plagued with health infirmities. He never became so discouraged that he couldn't move forward in his calling to yield his life for the sake of Christ. Well, while we can get great encouragement, right, from those in uh, biblical or extra biblical resources and biographies and things like that, the very best resource we have is the Word of God itself. Amen. And so I, I want to, in that context, bring you to chapter 14, to the life of the Apostle Paul. And let us just walk down through it. Let us pull some observations from it and help us to see that even on our worst day, we cannot say in any way, shape, or form it compared to what the Apostle Paul many times went through. And how by God's strength and God's grace, Paul was able to move forward out of any ditch of discouragement and apathy and continue to follow the calling that Christ sent to him from the cross upon his initial conversion. So we come to Acts 14. Here we have Paul and Barnabas 
on their missionary uh, endeavors. Right? Paul has been converted and, and he has been sent out to, to go and to spread the gospel. And he comes into a place that initially receives him. And this is what we're going to see, but eventually they turn on him. Okay? Acts 14, begin with verse 1. Now it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Amen. Things are looking great at this point. Right? There's the spirits accompanying their, 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 their witness of the gospel. Both Jews and Greeks. Not even just, you know, he's at the synagogue and there's Jews there. So, yeah, it'd be great to see some Jews converted. At, at, at minimum, that would be really wonderful. But it's, it's both Jews and Greeks converted. Wow, this is awesome. Everything's looking good. But, I always remember what I say, when you read the butts in the Bible, pay attention. Here we got a turn and a shift. But the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Oh, now we got an opposition that's coming against the good work of Paul and uh, what, what the Spirit did through their ministry. Verse 3, Long time therefore abode they speak in boldly in the Lord, still not discouraged, still going to continue to, to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, a long time therefore they abode, they knew there were enemies out there, they boldly spoke in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. An extraordinary accompaniment of power to perform miracles and signs given to them by the Lord. Now guys, think about this. I mean, here they are. People are being converted. And then the Lord gives them an extraordinary ability to perform signs and miracles in the midst of these troubles. I don't know about you, but I mean, this is really good. They're doing really well at this point, aren't they? Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided. What? They're not convinced? They're not all unanimously in agreement that, wow, these guys that are doing these signs and miracles, they just had, this has to be the truth? No. No, they were divided. And apart, held with the Jews, and apart with the apostles. So, this town is really split. Verse 5, And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully, despitefully, sorry, and to stone them, they were aware of it and they fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Okay, I think at this point, we all kind of would say, you know what? If uh, I was aware of a threat of my life and I escaped it, yeah, you know what? I'd just keep on going. I'd just keep preaching the gospel. Uh, yeah, you guys thought you got me, but too bad, so sad. I, 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 I was made aware of your plans and I escaped. But that's not the end. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple. The ministry continues now. From his mother's womb, verse 8 says, who never had ever walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. 
Again, this extraordinary ability to, to perform miracles. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the uh, Laosinonia, Leo, sorry, oh, I'm having tongue, tongue twisted this morning, uh, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, uh, Mercius or Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. And so they're trying to do what we just said a minute ago, put these men on a place of being gods and want to worship them. Wow, this is a good thing. They're receiving our message, they're receiving our gospel, and they're giving us so much respect that they're willing to recognize that we're the fulfillment or we are the uh, embodiment of their gods. So we can do with these people whatever we want. Of course, that's a wrong way to to look at them and to to view Barnabas and Paul. And so they're going to correct them. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Jupiter, their priest, the town there, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. They're going to give sacrifices to Barnabas and Paul. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out, saying sirs, why do you do these things? Obviously, they're still having to teach them. You don't understand what we have been communicated to you through our gospel message, so they're seeking to correct them. We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And so, they're just continuing to try to illuminate their understanding of who the one true God is. But think about it at this point. These people still are open to recognize Him in some sense of authority, right? Some sense of, of, of influence among them. So things, I think, still are really good here. Verse 18, And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. They were so bound here at this point of wanting to do the sacrifice to them, not still fully yet uh, willing to let go of their former traditions, their former practices, their former beliefs with the clear truth of what Paul just presented, that they're taken aback. So here there was great advancement initially made. And, oh, wait wait a minute, don't do that. Let's just further educate them a little bit. And what do they do? The, The people, they kind of stop. They were totally on board at first. Things were looking really good now, but now they're stopping. Well, what's going to happen? Well, we find out here what the rest happens, and and it doesn't go good for, for Paul. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, There's a lot that we can see in this narrative that transpired between that break in the the verse that says, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul. Because you just, like someone just doesn't pick up a stone and and immediately go stone someone. No, they were persuaded. There was these 
the Jews from Antioch that came in and wanted to uh, pounce on the opportunity of the suspicion that these people uh, had about their initial allegiance to Paul and Barnabas. Oh, listen, you're right. These people, these two men, in fact, they are uh, wicked men, we could suppose they were whispering. They're sorcerers of the evilest of kind, they would be whispering. If you follow them, and if indeed you believe in what they're saying, they will do this, they will do that, they will do this, they will require this, they will require that, so forth and so on. We can only imagine what's all in that narrative of their persuasion against the sacrificial service that Paul and Barnabas was giving. They were there to share with these people the truth of the light of who God was and what He had did through His Son. And they weren't getting any money for it. They they, they weren't, even when these men tried to put them on a level of a status of their own gods, which would have brought them much materialistic benefit. Paul Barnabas said, no, 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 no. We're men like you. Look to the one true God. Look to... His Son, Jesus Christ, right? They were, they, they were there, beloved, out of their own self-sacrifice. And here you have the whisperers, the persuaders, defaming their name, defaming their reputation behind their backs. And what's sad about it is it just isn't, it just isn't in there. It just, it's one thing, Brother Aaron, if there's some guys at work that want to defame your reputation on... Um, things that are untrue on the social media, right? Or, or through whispers in the break room, right? But it's an altogether different thing if it's to such a degree that those men after work, of course they would wear hoodies because they're, 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 they're scared of being fined out. This is, have you, did you notice that in a lot of the riots here in, the, in our country? All those who are propagating all of these you know, crimes and everything and the riots in the, in the streets of America, they all had masks on and hoods on, you know, because that's, they're cowards, right? But, but it's altogether thing. If they're defaming your name behind your back, but then they bring you out after work and they beat you to a bloody pulp. I mean, that's, a, that's an altogether different scenario, isn't it? I, think about the seriousness of, of this. Of, of what Paul and Barnabas was doing, innocent men there to share the truth that would save their souls, they're not only defamed and talked about behind their back, but then Paul is stoned to death. But Lord, I, I was here because You called me to come here. Uh, you, you, Lord, commissioned me to go there. Lord, what happened with the eyes that were opened initially in these people, what happened with their recognition of the power you gave me to do the signs and the miracles? Why this sudden 90 degree turn in the other direction? Beloved, wouldn't any of us at that point be a little discouraged? Wouldn't any of us in this place today who on the tail end of last week's message who in the context of anything when uh, faith is accompanied with obedience and someone uh, challenges us with obedience or attempting by God's grace to walk in obedience, things are not going better. Things are not getting you know sunnier and shinier and, and just falling into place for us. Who of us would not become discouraged and apathetic and want to give up? Paul is the most imminent example because here's why. All of our stuff 
fails in comparison to this. Now, if there was, uh, by providence, a missionary in the room who could raise his hand and perhaps say, you know what, this did happen to me, you know, out in ABC missionary field, I'd have to change the application a little bit. But nonetheless, you get the point here. Uh, Paul is an eminent example, beloved, of how to resist discouragement because of what happens next. Look what happens next. Verse 19 again. They persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So Nolan, this wasn't like the gravel that got delivered to our house the other day for our driveway. Somebody picked up a little number eight stone. Kids, that's like a little rock, the little driveway rocks, and threw it at Paul and got him a little nick on his head. That, that's, you see that in the text. He was stoned so bad, they thought he was dead. Put, get that picture in your mind. Look at verse 20. How be it, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, again, there's a lot in the narrative here. So they, bleed, they beat him to a bloody pulp with stones. He gets up. He goes back into the city. I don't know how he's allowed back into the city at this point. By God's providence and grace, the uh, anger of the crowd must have subsided or whatever, what have you. Uh, their conscience could have been pricked about you know, what they just did to this man. A lot could be you know, thought about there. But he goes back into the city, right? And then here's the good part. Look what happens in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls, meaning encouraging the souls, establishing the souls with the truths that they formerly presented them, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Could any of us, I have in my notes here, find fault if Paul, after being stoned and surviving by the skin of his teeth, could any of us blame Paul if he retreated for just a time to meditate on perhaps the disappointments that that whole situation you know, brought forth? Would any of us blame him if he were to just take some time off to seek refueling for hope that this discouragement was maybe just a mistake or maybe he was doing something wrong or maybe he went about it the wrong way and that's why, you know, God didn't bless it the way that Paul thought it would. None of us would blame Paul because most of the fact, most of the truth be told, if that happened to any of us, we would take a serious step back and, you know, say, I don't even know if I can continue to go and, and, and move forward in this calling with such a discouragement and such a disappointment. But know Paul like Jesus Christ. Beloved, he gives us a portrait of courage. He gives us a portrait of resolve with Holy Spirit-driven determination to fulfill and obey that which the Savior called him to. What an example for us to not get defeated in the ditch of apathy and discouragement. What is it today for you, Christian? that most likely tramples upon you and leaves you for dead. Even this week, perhaps, as I was talking to my friends, my old friends on the phone, lastly, this was what I was asking them. What, what is it that is 
leaving you there? What, what is it that perhaps you have become too comfortable with? Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, where he tells us to be cautious, to be aware. What is it that you, that you have not noticed on your radar that has perhaps led to this uh, point and where you're at in your life? Resist such discouragement. Our Christian life and, 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 and getting to the finish line will never come without tribulations when we look at the life of the, the disciples and the Lord Jesus. Don't surrender so easily, Christian. Don't give up the good fight. The good fight that the dear Savior has called you unto. Wage war against all that presents itself in opposition to the will of God in your life. For the stakes, as we read in Isaiah chapter 24 this morning, are all too high. The stakes are high. Generations are on the line. This is one thing that made me weep, really, after my interactions with some of these old friends, because, uh, you know, there's, there's, in one case, there's two generations behind them looking to the mother and the father in these family homes and these gospel homes that were once, you know, willing to get up from a discouragement, admit the discouragement, admit the disappointment, go to the throne of grace, shake the dust off and say, okay, let's get back on track. They, they, you know what I mean? That Now you've got one in and in a second generation now seeing Aaron, the mother and the father, dear sister, wanting to give up because of the discouragement. Oh, God help us. God help us in the eyes of the next generation of the church to hold the line and not fall into discouragement. The banner of Christ I have written down here must remain signaling to all of His allies that there is yet hope and advancement that we will not give up. We will be like Paul, brother, and we will stand up and we will go right back into the thick of the issue. Take that and apply it. <laughs> What's your issue? What's your city that you need to stand up and go get back in the middle of? That you've been avoiding? That you don't want another brother or sister, a pastor, or the Spirit through His Word to come and to bear upon the situation? Yes, I know. Some of us are bleeding. I know some of us are tired. I know some of us are just exasperated by a particular situation that lies in this city. But oh dear Christian, don't give up. Don't give up. Follow the example of Paul who had the gift of the Spirit, the same Spirit you had. Yes, in an extraordinary way performing miracles. But that which fueled him to get up, you have the very same fuel. Get up out of discouragement and walk back into the city. Time doesn't permit us, dear saint, if you're in that place, to take your attention to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and fully unpack the life of Joseph, right? But remember the life of Joseph? He always viewed everything, no doubt with the eyes of faith that Paul would have had, as being under the umbrella and the auspice of the sovereign hand of God. And no matter what it was, it was in some way, shape, or form going to be used what? For his glory and for the good of those that loved him. Joseph told Levi, you know, his brothers, 
who treated him so ill and all the way what it led Joseph's life through in prison. All of the unfairness we could say in brackets. All of the mistreatment we could say in brackets that he endured. What happened? Joseph didn't hold on to bitterness. He told his brothers in verse 20, what you meant for evil, God used it for good. You know what? I told Brother Scott and uh, Brother Colin before church, a lot of us right now as citizens in this country are very concerned with what is going on. And I try to help them see a different perspective, knowing, as we do, as good Bible-believing Christians, that God is behind all of this. I said, brothers, let us admit, perhaps, that in the next four, eight, 16, 20, or 24 years, perhaps, a long time, it's going to get really, really hard because certain groups, movements, you know, political parties, so forth and so on, are going to have the majority of control in this nation. And through their cleverness, they believe that they're, they're going to accomplish that by having a flood of people come to this country. Because they believe that those people will be allegiant, their allegiance will be to them and to their policies, so forth and so on. I said, oh, but they, they vastly underestimate the, the power of the gospel sister. Brother Marsh, Col, uh, Brother Scott and myself, we work in construction. And I told Colin, I said, you know what? If we would get busy about truly sharing the gospel with all of these people who were coming here, wouldn't it be so funny, Aaron, if what their wicked, you know, divisive plan was would turn on, on against them? If God began to move through His church who get out of the ditch of discouragement, who get out of the ditch of apathy and begin to believe in the power of the gospel and we begin to convert, not us, you get the point, if we begin to be used by instruments by God to convert all of these masses of people, glory be to God, this may be what exactly saves our nation. Amen? We, we don't have any reason to be discouraged. Get our heads out of the sand, uh, shrug off the apathy, and look unto the cross of Christ who will help us, as He did with Paul, to get up again and again. This is the only, You guys know your Bibles. You read the book of Acts. Paul went through this over and over again. And so, what kind of men and women, what kind of boys and girls, young men and women are we going to be? Those who are discouraged to the point where we're useless or those who will shake it off and be useful in the hands of an almighty God. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you and we recognize, Lord, on the tail end or the heels of such challenges, we look not to our self-sufficiency, we look not, dear Lord, to the muster and the might that we can white-knuckle, put together and, and, and conjure up within ourselves. Lord, we look to you. And indeed, oh God, today there may be here in this little place people who are tired, who are, Father, weary, who, Lord, are, as Paul, in a spiritual sense, covered in the stains of trials and and blood. I pray, O God, that as we come today under the administration of Your Word, as we, O God, sing praises to You, which no doubt is a a faucet to let out, Lord, all despairs and doubt and recognize with our voices that You are on the throne, that we do believe it, and that we, we, we love You and we praise You, O God. I pray that as we are here today to partake of the reminder of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, that all of these things, these precious means of grace, simple as they may be, 
They may aid us as your people who are indeed in an age, Lord, where there is much to discourage us to move forward in our calling. To, oh God, be faithful to our spouses, to raise our families, dear Lord, in the fear and the nurture and admonition of your ways, and to help every single one of us who are in this place to love one another, to encourage one another. And, oh God, help us as the church. Help us to walk with one another. Help us to minister to one another. We bless you and we thank you for all of these kind things you give us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take a short break.